1: Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We continue looking at a conference message that was given by Dallin H. Oaks. At the time he gave this message, he's first counselor in the first presidency. It was titled, Kingdoms of Glory. We have a loving Heavenly Father who will see that we receive every blessing and every advantage that our own desires and choices allow. As we've been talking about this past week, there are a lot of terms that Dallin Oaks uses that need to be defined if we are going to have a proper discussion with our Latter day Saint acquaintances, because there are many words that they use that they define differently. If you're going to have a meaningful conversation, We need to know exactly what Latter-day Saints mean when they use certain terms. Sometimes that can be difficult, as in what we're going to talk about today. Now, we finished yesterday talking about the sons of perdition. We spent a lot of time on that, and what we demonstrated is that this is a unique doctrine of Mormonism. Even though, technically, no Latter-day Saint can ever become a son of perdition, the, the definition just doesn't allow for sinful mankind to reach that bar. But the fact is, this is a a teaching in Mormonism that we do not find in the New Testament. Yes, it does talk about a son of perdition in the context being Judas Iscariot. And it also talks about a son of destruction or son of perdition, depending on which Bible version you're using, which would refer to the Antichrist. But nowhere do we find in the Bible that there's this group of people that meet this certain criteria to become what's called a son of perdition or the sons of perdition. But then we have Dallin Oaks goes on in the same paragraph where he says, All the children of God will ultimately inherit one of three kingdoms of glory, even the least of which surpasses all understanding. After a period in which the disobedient suffer for their sins, which suffering prepares them for what is to follow, all will be resurrected and proceed to the final judgment of the Lord Jesus Christ. That phrase, Eric, in which the disobedient suffer for their sins. Now, as a New Testament Christian, that throws me off, because we are led to believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for all of our sins. So the obvious question would be, what would be left for the disobedient to suffer on behalf of their sins? They're either forgiven or they're not forgiven. Now, to find out what I think Dallin Oaks might be talking about, I decided to go to the book, Articles of Faith. This was commissioned by the First Presidency for James Talmadge, a Mormon apostle, to write where he is supposed to explain the Articles of Faith point by point. Now, the reason why I went to the Articles of Faith, the book, is because in the Articles of Faith— which are 13 very brief points of doctrine that Latter-day Saints are supposed to believe, it says in Article 2, we believe that men will be punished for their own sins and not for Adam's transgression. Now, as a New Testament Christian, that does not give me a lot of hope. The last thing I want is to be punished for my sins. But Dallin Oaks seems to be taking this idea, and he slips it into this article of his or this speech that he gave where he says the disobedient suffer for their sins. The problem is he doesn't really explain what that means. I thought James Talmadge might help me, but he's really not a help, even though this book is supposed to explain all the 13 articles of faith. This is what he says on page 59 of the edition that I have. He says it is scarcely profitable to speculate as to the exact nature of the spiritual suffering imposed as punishment for sin. So basically, he's not going to tell us what this really is like. He goes on to say comparison with physical pain, such as the tortures of fire in a sulfurous lake, serve to show that the human mind is incapable of comprehending the extent of these penalties. The sufferings entailed by the fate of condemnation are more to be feared than are any possible inflictions of physical torture. The mind, the spirit, the whole soul is doomed to suffer, and the torment is known by none in the flesh. So he gives us the impression that whatever suffering as a result of our being disobedient is not a physical torture, but more of a mental torture. That doesn't even give me hope. That's something I'm not looking forward to. You see, I was always led to believe by the New Testament that Jesus paid for all of my sins, and if he paid for all of my sins, there is nothing left for me to offer on behalf of those sins. We call this substitutionary atonement. We believe, according to the teachings in the New Testament, that Jesus took our Place. He made satisfaction for our sins. He was our propitiation. There's no need for us to do anything above and beyond that. And when he was crucified, his final words were, it is finished, or it is accomplished. In other words, everything that needed to be done on behalf of our sins was done through the acts of Christ during his life and in his death and resurrection. So what in the world is this talking about? This is not talking about a substitutionary atonement. At least, it's not talking about an all-sufficient atonement. It sounds like it's only partially sufficient, waiting for mankind to do something else beyond what Jesus did on the cross.
2: A Latter-day Saint who was listening to Oaks give his talk, I think when they hear after a period in which the disobedient suffer for their sins, which suffering prepares them for what is to follow, I think most people are going to think, yeah, those are the bad people all the disobedient people the you know and, and so everybody who's going to supposedly after you die there's an intermediate state there's either paradise or there's spirit prison probably a, a latter day saint is thinking well though disobedient they're certainly going to go to spirit prison but let me ask the question bill Which Latter-day Saint would acknowledge that he is completely obedient and should not have to suffer for his sins? Because it seems like they would be included in the same grouping as the rest of us who have to suffer for our sins. And it doesn't say how long of a time. It doesn't explain where this is happening. Uh, He just says uh, you're going to have to suffer for your sins. That is certainly, as you're saying, Bill, not a New Testament concept. Well, I look at
1: the book of Hebrews, for instance. And we look at chapter 9 in the book of Hebrews, where it says in verse 28 that Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, you would think that if Christ, when he appears the second time— After that, we know, is the judgment, because it makes it very clear in the same passage. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, then it goes on in verse 28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. Well, if he's coming the second time and not going to deal with sin— Why does it sound like somebody's doing something for sins in which the disobedient suffer for their sins? What's the point?
2: Well, and then verse 27, when it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. In Mormonism, that comma is apparently a chance for you to be able to get things right in spirit prison, to listen to the missionaries who come and visit you. But that's not what the Bible says. It says you die, and then comes a judgment. Second Corinthians six two says today is the day of salvation. And I think we are supported with Alma chapter 34 verse 32 and following and later in the talk oaks brings that passage up it has to be done in this life you can't do it in the next life
1: well let me take you down to hebrews chapter 10 verse 12 but when christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of god waiting From that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being
2: sanctified. And who is being sanctified? Those are Christian believers who have been justified. Sanctification is a process that follows after. It's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But Jesus already paid it all, all to him I owe.
1: So if that's the fact, then why would Dallin Oaks say that the disobedient must suffer for sins? Why does Article 2 in the Articles of Faith say that man is going to be punished for his own sins? That's the last thing I want. I don't want to be punished for my sins. The wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. But notice what it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 10. After he says that by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 15 says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. If the disobedient have to suffer for their sins, doesn't that sound like there's an offering for sin being made here?
2: 1 yeah. Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. That's a reference to Isaiah. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So he is the one who bore the sins on the tree that we should die to sin. Not we somehow are going to suffer so that we die to sin and live to righteousness.
1: When Jesus is talking in the Gospels, he knew that he came to die. He knew that there was going to be a time of suffering on him his part. He would go through the suffering on behalf of his people. He came to save his people from their sins, according to Matthew chapter 1. That was his mission. That's not our mission. Now, when you have a a so-called apostle say that the disobedient are going to suffer for their sins, I think you're right. When you mentioned earlier, there's no Latter-day Saint who is not disobedient. None of them are completely obedient. I would say that that word would certainly include me, because I am disobedient. I am not perfect in my righteousness. I don't do everything that's right. And even when I do the right things, it's tainted by my fallenness. I'm willing to admit that. That's what all the more makes me face the cross and praise God for the sacrifice that was made by Christ himself on that cross, that he paid the total price for my sins so that something as awful as my suffering for sins for my disobedience, as Dallin Oaks is saying here, That certainly is not the gospel. It certainly does not go along with substitutionary atonement. And if I were a Latter-day Saint, that kind of a doctrine would scare me to death.
0: Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.